0: You may wonder how we're going to get a sermon out of a bunch of names. Well, you'll be surprised. Join me in prayer. Lord, help us to understand your word this morning. May the Spirit of God drive home to our hearts the richness of this passage and the truth of it to our lives, that we might be more effective in serving you all the days of our life. Power me for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. We can impress others from a distance, but we can only impact them up close. We can impress others from a distance, but we can only impact them up close. Here's the tension that we all face, perhaps as your pastor, it is an even greater tension. We must decide where we want our ministry to count. In the momentary applause of popular recognition or in the reproduction of our lives in a few people who will carry on the work after we are gone. Jesus' method of reaching the multitudes was more intentional than simply leaving his followers some instructions on how to turn the world upside down for him. He didn't just mail them a do-it-yourself kit on building the church. There was this do-it-yourself catalog company which received this following letter from one of its customers. It said, I built a birdhouse according to your stupid plans, and not only is it much too big, it keeps blowing out of the tree. Signed, Unhappy. The do-it-yourself company replied, Dear unhappy, we're sorry about the mix-up. We accidentally sent you a sailboat blueprint rather than the birdhouse instructions. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think you're unhappy, you should read the letter from the guy who came in last and the yacht club regatta. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Jesus didn't simply yell out his instructions to his followers. He got up close to them. I read about the great violinist, Yasha Heifetz, who after a distinguished performing career, accepted an appointment as professor of music at UCLA. It was an opportunity to get up close to his students. He was asked what prompted his change of career. He said, violin playing is a perishable art. It must be passed on as a personal skill, otherwise it is lost. Folks, living the Christian life is a highly personal experience. We can't pull it off by merely watching skilled saints perform. We need hands-on instruction. And just like no amount of sessions in a classroom would teach a person how to fly a plane, there is no substitution for getting with people to teach them how to soar in their Christian life. I am convinced that whether it is to evangelize or disciple or develop a leader, there is no substitution for getting together with people. Whether it's to build up the church or establish deep relationships or learn how to live in dependence upon the Lord, there is no substitution for getting together with people. Whether it is to overcome a personal struggle or work through areas that continually trip us up or help us keep our commitments, there is no substitution for getting together with people. And that is the heart of the message this morning. So look with me at the passage that was just read in Mark chapter 3. And I want to go back and pick it up with verse 7. So go back to verse 7 and follow along with me. Verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him, cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus attracted crowds. By the world's definition of success, on this level anyway, Jesus would have been listed in the top ten. For the world says the bigger the crowd, the more successful you are. Yet Jesus is constantly trying to break away from the crowd. You notice that? In our present sermon series, we're looking at Jesus in relationships. And it is no accident that this is where I would begin with you as your pastor. If I haven't shown my hand already as to what my, what, where my heart is and what I believe God has put in my heart to do, this morning should remove all doubt. This passage here captures and defines my philosophy of an approach to ministry. Because I, like you, want what we do here to not only be impressive, but impactful. So how can we increase the chances of greater impacts? That's what we're going to dive into this morning. And what we see this morning is Jesus' desire to set into motion what would ultimately meet the real needs of millions so look with me at verse 13 of Mark 3. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Verse 14 provides us with the reason he selected these 12 men. It says, He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. You see, he gave them a cause to live for. They would be sent out to preach, and and they would authenticate their preaching by the practice of driving out demons. What was his method to accomplish this? This is not too complicated. Before he would send them out to preach, his priority was simple. What does the text say? Verse 13, that he might be with them. That he might be with them. And that they might be with him. That's the whole point. That they might be with him, verse 14. It's not incidental what Jesus models for us here. Be with him before going out for him was Jesus' modus operandi. And it's still the same today. And so today, in the short time we have, we're going to look at two sides of the same coin. One side of this coin are the ones who are willing to get up close to Jesus. And on the other side of the same coin is, are those, is the one who invested in their lives. And so, first of all, let's look at the ones who were willing to get up close to Jesus. The ones who came to Him. The ones who came to Him. In our text in verse 13, it mentions that Jesus called to Him those He wanted, and then it simply says, and they came to Him. Willingly, without coercion, they came to Him. And although these 12 men weren't given a road map detailing where Jesus would take them, they had seen him in action, they had heard his teaching, and they were powerfully moved by his authenticity, so they unflinchingly surrendered their lives to his control. Jesus Christ was such a compelling person, they left their careers to follow him. He's just as compelling of a person today. And while following him will not always mean leaving our careers, it will mean radically altering our view of them. Take it from the ones who knew him best, he is one worth living for, worth letting go of whatever is in our hands to get up close to him. Let me ask you this. Is there something in our lives, in your life, that you possess that you need to give up for the ongoing joy of intimacy with Jesus Christ? And just like these 12 men, Jesus comes into your world of broken expectations and perhaps even disillusionment with the church or disappointment with people, or pain over someone who took advantage of you, and he calls you to let go of that smelly fishing net that is in your hands, and he offers you a fresh view of life, new hope of something that can give your life meaning and purpose. He calls you to come near him and spend time with him. Once someone was talking to a great scholar about a younger man, and he said, so-and-so tells me that he was one of your students. And the scholar and teacher answered devastatingly. He said, well, he may have attended my lectures, but he was not one of my students. Let me ask you, are you a student of Christ, or are you simply attending his lectures? If we are to become people of lasting and effective impact, it begins with being consumed with following Christ by getting up close. Are we spending more time doing for him than being with him? I have found that busyness for him does not guarantee closeness with him. As a matter of fact, if I'm not careful, I can, it can actually lead me away from him. The ones who knew him best were plugged into a close relationship with him. But remember, they were imperfect followers. And I want to pause for a moment to look at these 12 apostles. This motley crew, this ragtag band of misfits. Tim Hansel with creativity gets his point across this way. And a resume of apostles. You're going to see it up here. It says, To Jesus, son of Joseph, from Jordan Management Consultants. Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologists and consultants. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that's our duty to tell you that Matthew had been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic-depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Now, folks, this is quite a group. It's quite a group. It's been said, it's hard to soar with eagles when you live with turkeys. (laughs) So they lived with, so they were to each other. And as Jesus is teaching them about servant leadership, they're fighting over who deserves the most favored position. After each miracle, they fret about the next difficult situation. Can he feed the 5,000? Oh wait, can he feed the 4,000 now? They were self-serving, competitive, forgetful, slow to learn, and even slower to unlearn. It appeared at times they even slowed Jesus down. These guys are not your model of perfection, but they are a model of promise that God can use you and that God can use me. It is their... Ordinariness that gives me hope. The genius of Jesus' choice of these guys is that when we look at them, it's like looking in a mirror, isn't it? We can see the impulsiveness of Peter. We can see the apprehension of Andrew. We can see the skepticism of Thomas. We can see the attitude of why certain things can't be done, like Philip. And we can even see in ourselves. The mutinous leanings of Judas, a man who just couldn't take it. Now there's something else I see in this diverse group as a lesson for me in being involved in people's lives. At the risk of stating the obvious, I'm going to say it anyway, we are all different. (laughs) You can't all be normal like me. (laughs) That's what we think. We are a diverse group. But we all have one overriding, all-compelling reality in common. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And the more consumed we are with Christ, the less consumed we are with our differences. We looked at how those who came to him We've got to be with him before we can go out for him. I want to look at the second side of the same coin, the one who chose to spend time with them. Just briefly, the one who chose to spend time with him. Jesus showed respect for them by giving them time. And other than the cross, there was nothing in Jesus' three years of ministry more important than what he's doing here with these 12 guys. They needed to be with him before going out for him. He let them see his heart in action. He let them understand how his mind works. He invited them to join him on a journey of dependence upon his father. They were going to travel with him, learn from him, eat with him, live with him. They would be with Jesus when he stubbed his toe. They would be with Jesus when he waited in line. They would be with Jesus when he received too much change back from a sale. They would be with Jesus when he was hungry, when he was tired, when he was peopled to death. They were with him when he was criticized, when he was misunderstood, and when he was being set up by some smooth religious characters. Jesus gave himself to men who were different in temperament, background, and economic status, and they failed him. They are often described as dull in hearing. They had their weaknesses, problems, maybe we'd even call disorders, yet he stayed with them, believed in them, selflessly contributed his time and energy to them and loved them all the way to the cross. To most, they were more trouble than they were worth. Well, except everyone, everyone except Jesus. Jesus was not threatened by temporary setbacks, for Christ's risk was all part of the training regime. You know, I stand here this morning, I've thought about it a lot this week, because I think of one man who took the risk and chose to spend time with me up close. He came alongside of me to mentor me when I was nothing but a young whippersnapper causing all kinds of problems. He looked beyond that. He had incredible patience. I had so many rough edges. I'm sure I embarrassed him at times. I botched up youth events that I was in charge of. I I was quite ineloquent in public speaking. For most, I looked unpromising and not worth the time. He gave me a chance. And I am in ministry today largely because of this one man's willingness to invest in me and impact me up close. Will you take the risk of involving yourself in others' lives? Or do you want to stay at a distance? If so, why is that? What fear is holding you back? What past hurt is keeping you guarded? Will you lean on the Lord and asking him to hold on to you as you let down your guard and let others in? Are you inviting others in to see who you really are and to join you on your journey of the imitation of Christ? See, Jesus' concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. I'm not anti-programs. Please hear me on that. But no doubt... Much of what churches have across America would be considered impressive. The question that I ask is are we making a difference? What kind of splash is there? What kind of impact are we having? Jesus would have agreed with D.L. Moody, who said it is better to train 10 people than to do the work of 10 people, but it is harder. Now, how do you know to whom we invest our time and energy beyond the ones already placed in your care? Well, there's one thing that Mark doesn't tell us that Luke mentions in the parallel account in Luke 6.14. You don't need to turn there. But in that account in Luke 6.14, before Jesus selected the 12 disciples, what did he do? He broke away from the crowd to pray. These guys were not taken from a sign-up list or a response in a bulletin announcement looking for volunteers. No, after spending an entire night in prayer, Jesus called to him those he wanted. It begs the question, how much time am I spending in prayer about those with whom I should surround myself? And perhaps if we spend more time praying about the people we're to get together with, we'd spend less time running frantically from this person to that person, touching them only superficially. All right, I need to ask you some uncomfortable questions. First of all, who are you currently mentoring? Who's mentoring you? To the ones closest to you, how much time are you spending with them? Do you place greater emphasis on accomplishing tasks and developing ideas or growing people? I told you they're uncomfortable. What are you doing today that will guarantee an impact for Christ? And the next generation. You say, we don't meet. We email. <clears throat> we don't call. We text message. We hide behind the screen and we call them all friends. I have 200 and something. I don't even know now. How many do you have? Is this being involved with people? Well, it's a tool. Technology is nice. Yes, even necessary. But there is no substitution for getting together with people. That is if you want to make a lasting impact. We can't experience intimacy on the run. We need to get close to others, dare to get involved, enter up close into the lives of people, see beyond their faults and weaknesses and touch them powerfully with Christ's life flowing through you. You see, entering to touch others powerfully has little to do with impressing others with our knowledge from a safe distance and everything to do with loving people where they're at. It has little to do with the miraculous, in quotes, and everything to do with inviting others into the powerful presence of Christ. You see, it's not about standing at a distance and shouting, be cleans. It's about getting up close and whispering, know him. answer his call first to be with him. Be with him before going out for him. And then and only then are you ready to be used by him in the fullness of his power. Don't underestimate the power of a life lived in his presence. Don't. There was this ordinary man, a Sunday school teacher in Boston whose uncle owned a shoe store. This man, Edward Kimball, got up close to a teenager who was stocking shelves, and, and he introduced him to the person of Jesus Christ. Who was that man in that stockroom? Well, it was D.L. Moody. He accepted Christ as Savior. Kimball, this ordinary man, had no idea that this one act of faithfulness on his part would reap such a rich harvest for heaven. It's been estimated that during his lifetime, D.L. Moody spoke to more than 100 million people. And one of those people that D.L. Moody got up close to was Wilbur Chapman. Moody led Chapman to the Lord, and he went on to become a great evangelist in the generation succeeding Moody's. Chapman led Billy Sunday to the Lord. Billy Sunday led a man named Mordecai Ham to the Lord, and Mordecai Ham led a young man named Billy Graham to the Lord. What a phenomenal succession of faithful harvesters for the cause of eternity, and it all began with Edward Kimball, a simple, ordinary man who gave up a Saturday to meet a young man in the stockroom stocking shelves. Brothers and sisters in Christ, heaven is crowded with the results of routine faithfulness. It is still God's plan to work through the embarrassingly insignificant and ordinary people to impact the world. There is no substitution for getting together with people. What are you doing today that will guarantee some impact for Jesus Christ and the next generation? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this model from Jesus' life of being up close to others. And I pray that as we leave here this morning, even before we leave here this morning, that we would touch others with Christ's love, that we'd be a blessing to those around us. May that be our prayer. God, make me a blessing. And who knows how you might use that in someone's life today. Thank you for the power of your gospel that reaches many as we just step out in faithfulness and availability to you. Use us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.